This is the Legacy United Methodist Podcast. Good morning, everybody. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, I'm so glad you decided just to spend a little bit of your Sunday, August day with us. We're in a series called At the Movies, where we're exploring God's grace in some of our favorite films of the last few years. As Methodists, we understand prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is all around us. God is trying to get our attention to woo us into a relationship with Christ. God gets our attention through all different kinds of things, through other people, through circumstances, even our favorite songs and stories and movies. Playing today is Spider-Man No Way Home. So quick note, this movie is rated PG-13. All the clips you'll see in worship are and will always be family-friendly. If you go decide to watch it later, I would recommend you check out a website like one we use. Uh, we like commonsensemedia.org, and it has kids and parents vote on what age is appropriate to see the film. Helps us to decide as a family if it's something our kids should experience yet. What I always find interesting about that site is that more often than not, the kids and the parents will agree on what age a child should see the film. We often think as kids and parents against each other and really is not as they're talking about what movie is age appropriate. Spider-Man No Way Home, it is the 27th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That is the correct number. It is the 27th film that happens in the same universe with the same events and characters that overlap. They are drawn from decades of stories in comic books. Now, you don't need to know all the backstory. You don't need to know all 27 films and comic books to enjoy this movie. You can enjoy it for just the film that it is. You can enjoy all Marvel films or this one on many different levels. Now, some of us just go to see Marvel movies. We know nothing of the background, the context, and we simply just enjoy the show. Other people have grown up reading the comic books. They've seen all of this movie series along with others that have appeared, and they see connections and character development and th things that are staged, and they know what's coming next because they know all of this history. They have the background. They understand the context beyond just this one story. Friends, that is incredibly similar to how we approach the Bible. God, we encounter, you encounter God in Scripture. If you know nothing about Scripture, but you decide you're going to take up a Bible reading habit, you're going to encounter God. God's going to transform you. The Spirit's going to meet you. And you might not know much about the original context, but God's still going to meet you in that reading. We are changed. We are transformed with that kind of first-level encounter of Scripture. And yet, when we dive deeper once we understand the people and the places and the context and the culture of the same scripture that we've read maybe a hundred times, that same scripture that was rich is even richer because we understand the time and the context, how it connects from this story over here, and how all of this put together ultimately points to Jesus. I do highly recommend, as you start a Bible reading habit, I highly recommend you pick up a study Bible. My two favorites are the New Living Study Bible, New Living Translation Study Bible, and the Common English Bible. They are great ones to give you that background and that context to help you get an even deeper and richer understanding of the scripture. The depth of the Marvel movie experience and their background of content shares the interconnected nature 
of the scripture where we meet the Holy Spirit. Now, in our movie today, we're going to journey with Peter Parker, a high school student. One day, he was bitten by a radioactive spider, and now he has superpowers. If I had a nickel for every time I heard about someone getting superpowers from a spider, I'd have one nickel. Now, in this film, uh, Peter Parker's secret identity is out. Everybody knows he's Spider-Man, and his life, the life of his friends, is a mess. You saw in the opening clip, he asked Doctor Strange to help the world forget. He's Spider-Man, so he can go to college. First tip, call the college to see if you can still get in. Dr. Strange's advice was good. But this spell goes entirely sideways, and now villains from other worlds have come to wreak havoc in our world. Now, Peter and his friends go on this journey to capture these visitors from other worlds. In the process, they discover many of these visitors are killed in their battle with Spider-Man. They lose their lives. They die. And this does not sit well with Spider-Man. These villains all have some kind of trauma in their background that are causing them to act the way that they are. One fell into a vat of electric eels. Another changed by his experiment on military technology. Granted, this is not common trauma or trauma that we would deal with, but this is trauma nonetheless. Spider-Man wants to help them. Spider-Man wants to heal them before they go home so they might have a chance to live. But Doctor Strange, not so much. So Peter and his friends ignore Doctor Strange's advice, and they do all they can to cure, to heal, and to send home the villains, to help the bad guys, to help their enemies. This is starting to sound a little familiar. Where have I heard this before? This sounds like something a first century Jewish carpenter who said he was God mentioned and taught one day, challenging us to live differently than so much of the world around us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 this morning, if you want to follow along. Now, this teaching from Jesus is not only found in the book of Luke, but also in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, this teaching is included in a larger section called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in Luke's story about Jesus' life, he doesn't structure things quite the same way, but Luke includes many of the same teachings that Matthew mentions. Now, we're going to pick this up in verse 27 of Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. We are called to love our enemy. It's one of the many hard teachings of Jesus we're expected to live out. Spider-Man and his friends, they do it. They do it almost automatically without any kind of thought or reflection. Of course, we're going to try and heal and fix the villains. Even though they're my enemies, even though they're seeking my destruction, even though they want me to die, I don't want them to die. I want them to be whole. I will show love to my enemies. 
Man, who would have thought words and actions straight from Jesus' mouth for my high school kid bitten by a spider? So who is our enemy? I'm guessing none of us have supervillains in our lives that look like a big lizard or electric man or a sandman or a guy flying on a skateboard chasing you down or guys with their gigantic octopus arms on their back. No, our enemies are other people. And there are two kinds of enemies we deal with. The first is someone who is antagonistic against you. Someone who is antagonistic towards you. Now, for whatever reason, you are sideways with them. Maybe your political persuasions could not be further apart. Maybe you live very different lives. Your jobs, your careers have pushed you apart. Maybe the values you hold dear are just not the same with this acquaintance or family or friend. Jesus says you can just ignore them and get on with your life. Now, it would be a lot easier, though, wouldn't it? Instead, Jesus says, love your enemies. Love, not tolerate, not respectfully disagree, not agree to disagree, though all those might play a part, but love. Love requires thought. Love requires action. Love requires time and attention on our part. This person or that group that thinks of me as their enemy, I'm supposed to love them. How on earth are we supposed to do this? Luckily, Jesus gives us some ideas. Say it with me. The words are on the screen for you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Jesus says, bless them. Bless those who curse you. Our human reaction is to fight back, to fight fire with fire, to practice an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth when we're met with hostility, when we're met with anger. You come at me hot and I'm going to come back at least that angry, if not more so, to show you I'm more in control. Now, unfortunately, it takes a long time to learn if we ever do, but an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth only leaves us half blind and missing, a, missing teeth. It does nothing to help anyone including ourselves. An eye for an eye is in our Bibles. It's in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes that passage from the Old Testament in this teaching from Matthew. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other also. If your shirt is taken from you in court, give them your coat too. If a soldier demands you carry his gear for one mile, you're going to carry it for two. Jesus was using these powerful examples to get people to understand absurd generosity. An eye for an eye doesn't help anyone. But generosity, absurd generosity, blessing others, even our enemies, that has life-transforming power. That has life-transforming power. When we are faced with hostility... When someone is angry toward us, when someone is yelling at us, instead of an eye for an eye and matching their volume, may we live out this proverb. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. It is a blessing to not engage, to not match someone's anger with more anger, or even to raise the temperature of a room or situation. It's a blessing to be gentle. Years ago, more than a decade now at this point, 
One of our college leaders, when I was a campus pastor, got an angry email from one of her peers. She typed out an immediately angry reply, probably more so than the response she got. However, just before hitting send, another thought entered her mind, a better way, a more Jesus way to deal with the situation. She deleted everything that she wrote. Instead, she acknowledged the person's email and suggests they meet in person to chat. Both had time to cool down, to process, and their relationship was restored. We are so much bolder. We are so much angrier behind a keyboard and a screen than we are in person, face-to-face with another human being. It helped much. Friends, a gentle answer deflects anger, but words make, angry words make tempers flare. That's the way we should live as people who follow Jesus. Answering gently helps other people to calm down, to gain control of our emotions, and to see the situation more clearly. It is hard. It is so very hard to not come in hot when someone else does. But it isn't the Jesus way. The Jesus way is the loving way. It is to bless others, even our enemies. Say it with me again. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. We love our enemies by doing good. Do good to our enemies. The earliest Christians took this challenge to heart. They were an occupied people by the Romans, and they would indeed, when a soldier asked them to carry up their pack one mile, they would carry it too. Absurdly generous. They lived out this command of Jesus to love their enemies. And you can bet on that two-mile walk, they got into conversations. They got into conversations about why they were being absurdly generous with their time and their muscles, and they talk about Jesus' command, Jesus' desire to love everyone. In our scripture alone, Jesus shows more absurd generosity. Give someone your coats and your shirt without them asking for it. Give to anyone who asks without any plan for getting it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It is absolutely absurd generosity. Do that kind of good, absurdly good, to your enemies. N.T. Wright, the scholar, notes that Jesus preached and he lived this glorious, uproarious, absurd generosity. Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person. Think of the best thing you can do for the worst person in your life and go do that. That's the challenge. Think of what you would really like someone to do for you. What's the best thing someone you could do, they could do for you? And you go do it for somebody else. That's the goal. Think of the people to whom you are tempted to be nasty and lavish generosity on them instead. That is Jesus-level absurd generosity. Jesus gives us all these pictures to build a new attitude in our hearts, to have a light-hearted spirit for all the world that's going to throw at us, to be a people of crazy generosity. You want to cultivate absurd generosity in our life. We want to do that because that is what God is like. Cultivating absurd generosity, doing good to our enemies, we do that because that is what God is like. God is generous to all people. God is generous in the eye of the stingy to a fault. God provides good things for all to enjoy the undeserving as well as the deserving. Jesus wants us to live with absurd generosity to do good for our enemies. 
because they just might get a picture of God through our actions. Only when people discover that this is the sort of God they're dealing with, an absurdly generous God, they might just have a chance. They just might consider making the Jesus way of life their own. So we love our enemies by doing good, by showering them with gifts and cards and kind words and other acts of kindness. Do good to everyone, including and especially your enemies. What absurdly generous practice, what absurdly generous thing can you perform this week to knock the socks off your enemies? I love what Paul, the first century church planter, says at the end of Romans 12. He is echoing exactly Jesus' intent from Luke, and he gives us more practical ideas to do good. Paul writes, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. By doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Feed your enemies. Give them something to drink. Do good to your enemies. We should go out of our way to do positive, uncalled-for acts of kindness to those who have wronged us. It's entirely possible some of that can lead to repentance. When we refuse to respond with anger to anger... When we refuse to respond to being hurt with revenge, we break the cycle. When we deliberately rid ourselves of the desire for revenge and anger, we take responsibility for our own mental and emotional health. We're refusing to allow our futures to be determined by the evil someone else has done to us. It's bad enough what our enemies did to us. They don't have the right to keep us in a bitter and twisted state forever. It is awful what that person did to us, and they do not have the right to keep us bitter and twisted forever. This is what Paul meant by not letting evil conquer you. It is our task to not let evil conquer us. That last scripture is exactly what Spider-Man and his friends do in this movie. Their task and our task in real life, don't let evil conquer you, and conquer evil by doing good. Say it with me again. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. We love our enemies by praying for them. Prayer is powerful. It shapes us toward the heart of Jesus. When we pray, no matter what is on our heart, over time, our thoughts and behaviors change. They start to become more and more like Jesus. It's because we're spending time with him. We're spending time with Jesus in prayer. And we become the people we spend our time with. We become the people we spend our time with. And that's no different as we spend time with Christ in prayer. As we pray for our enemies, we're soon going to discover that hatred and heartfelt prayers cannot coexist. Hatred and heartfelt prayers cannot coexist. In prayer, we may start with hatred to our enemies, That's fine, that's where we are. We start in prayer where we're at, but we're gonna change. Our hearts will soften. Jesus will do that work in us. We are changed in prayer. We might not even notice it. We might not even notice it until we look back months or years down the road and we're surprised that our hatred for our enemy has been replaced 
by a heartfelt concern. A hatred transformed by the fact we're all human beings who make mistakes, we are broken, and we all need a savior. If you feel like you cannot do anything else, you feel like you can't bless your enemies, you can't do good, start here. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who are antagonistic towards you. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is going to change you. Say it with me. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Jesus says, love your enemies. Not some pie-in-the-sky notion. He actually wants us to do this. He expects us to do this. We've seen how we can respond to people that are antagonistic toward us. But there is a second and other group of enemies. Someone you are antagonistic towards. Someone you are antagonistic towards. Sometimes, friends, the hard truth is that the problem is us. We are the problem. We made enemies because someone is different than us, personality-wise, how we see the world, politically, whatever it is. Sometimes the problem is us. And we need the help of people around us to live out Jesus' words. We need other people to remind us that we're called to love, to do good, to bless, and to pray for our enemies. Now, in the movie, everything falls apart. In Spider-Man's attempt to love his enemies, a person close to him is killed. The villains are wreaking havoc all over the city. Spider-Man wants revenge. Now, in his friends, encourage him to continue to heal, to not seek revenge, to not to kill, but to still try to love his enemies. His two friends now include two other Spider-Mans from other worlds. And they team up to find a way to cure these villains once and for all. Loving our enemies is difficult. We are called to do this work together. Our people around us can help us see our own blind spots. There is sacrifice involved to love those we might find really unlovable. There is finding true and honest and helpful ways to love our enemies. Not sarcastically love our enemies, but life-affirming in an absurdly generous way to love our enemies. We need to remember the plan Jesus set out for us and the community, the church can help us do that. Help us to remember it when all we want is revenge and payback. Let's remember the plan. Say it with me. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Even with a plan, even with three Spider-Mans, the attempt to love their enemies to help the villains is hard work. Our friends, our community, our people, they can help. They can give us permission. They can give them the permission to speak the truth to us. They can show us where we're falling short. Where are we falling short from loving our enemies of those we are antagonistic towards? The church, the community of faith, that's us. We get to lead the way. We get to show each other how we love those we consider our enemies. Our challenge is no less these very words from Jesus. It is a high bar, but we get to live out and struggle with this task together. Say it with me one more time. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Let us go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Jesus, you have called us to be a people that love all, including and especially our enemies. 
Empower us through your Holy Spirit to bless, to do good, and to pray for those with whom we do not get along. May we be shining examples of your absurd generosity in all the places we find ourselves this week. It's in your resurrected name we pray together. Amen.